Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. I can see a scenario in about, I don't know, a week or ten days' time when everything settles down a little for Sergio Garcia and he finally gets a chance to catch up on the worldwide TV coverage of his US Masters triumph. He'll probably start with the American TV stations. Can us Europeans always need validation from across the water? Yeah. He's a European tour man, though, so the one he's really looking forward to is undoubtedly Sky Sports. Right. He sits down, green jacket on, trophy on his lap, just thinking, I can't wait to hear what Monty has to say about this one. Maybe they've even drafted in Olafaba, uh, given that I was in contention going into the last day. Who know? Ah, shit, it's Padraig bloody Harrington. I hate this guy. <laughs> How did this happen? Hi, Ken. How are you? What? Why does he hate Padraig Hi, everyone. Padraig welcome, to, welcome to Monday Second Captain's podcast. Did you, you didn't know there was antipathy between the two? I mean, hate is a strong word. <laughs> no, I mean... They've never seen eye to eye, shall they we They seem say. like two mild-mannered men. Yeah, in their own spheres, yes, but they... Potter Harrington. Well, do you know what? We'll get maybe a bit. Maybe Harrington's a bit pernickety, but you know neither of them seem. Uh, you know they're they're hardly in the sort of Henri Leconte uh, category. Yeah, maybe if some people. Oh no! Don't you mean Elena Stasi? Anyway, that's a conversation yeah, anyway. from the World Service last week. The a lot of people, maybe like yourself, Ken, who dip in and out of golf, mightn't even have known about this until you picked up a little bit of a little bit of something from Potter Harrington over the weekend. And certainly between Justin Rose and Sergio, you'd pick, your heart would pick Sergio, wouldn't it? Well, maybe not mine now. But... <laughs> 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 oh, dear, just keep setting up for these. And we've even had a smile and some emotion from uh, Sergio's old adversary here in the studio, Fodrig. You quite enjoyed it, didn't you? Uh, it, look, it's brilliant fun. Uh, you know, you can see the emotion on him there and, uh, you know, I maybe created some of that emotion, so I'll take some credit for that. <laughs> I think that was... Meant to be a light-hearted joke, having beaten him a couple of times in majors right. in the past. But they, So what, they don't like each other because Project Harrington beat him a couple of times? They went back to 2003. There was a, a rules incident between Project Harrington and Jose Maria Olafaba, compatriot. 
Rules incident. Yeah, rules. Essentially, Olathabo was uh, trying to. I'll, I'll get the exact. Uh, who was who was supposedly breaking or bending the rules? Olathabo. Well, Harrington. No, Harrington wanted clarification for something that Olathabo was doing yeah. from a referee. And Olathabo didn't want the qu- clarification because he felt there was nothing to clarify. Yeah. And then he looks around and sees busybody Harrington there bringing a referee over to ask, is that okay? What a lot? Is, that, is, is he all right? Is he allowed to do that? Right. The two of them, for the rest of the round, apparently Harrington was slightly mortified and trying to apologise, saying, I wasn't trying to say you were cheating or anything. And I'll have a says, <laughs> Why did you yeah, snitch on me to the referee? Go then? and do one there, Potter. <laughs> so, so apparently it's back in 2003, when, uh, you know, a long time ago now, but Garcia was well established by that stage and he didn't like that one bit. So apparently it's partly from that. Then they obviously came up against each other twice in 2007 in the British Open and in the USPGA. And Harrington just mentally broke him, certainly on the in the playoff in 2007. Mm. Very icy towards him. Very, a lot icier than Rose and Garcia were to each other at the weekend. Something I might get into with Lawrence Donegan a little bit later on. And there have just been these tetchy... There's a quote from Potter Harrington from a few years back. We have zero in common, bar the fact that we both play golf. He is the antithesis of me and I am the antithesis of him. And they're both very rich golfers, so in, some, in one <laughs> crucial way, they're not... <laughs> two, the of the, <laughs> two more similar men, it would be hard to... <laughs> yeah. So that's that. There was another... Oh, God, I've, I've been gorging myself on detail on this through the day, Ken, so I have to share a bit more with you. Uh, where are we here? Oh, yeah, according to Golf.com, Harrington finished a practice round at Muirfield a few years back, I think it must have been before an Open, and was signing autographs. One fan had the British Open programme turned to the page it showed Harrington winning his first Claret Jug that was in 2007 at Carnoustie after a playoff with Garcia so Harrington signed the page and held onto the book for the longest time staring at the photo with a satisfied smile you like that picture the man said more than you know the Irishman replied <laughs> now, I don't know this, that piece seems to be reading too much into that, that interaction but there's definitely there's something there but that's it's all, it's all water under the bridge now and Harrington was big enough to admit that they don't all get along uh, Harrington was talking some nonsense last night on the pre-playoff uh, whole body language analysis section. Was that on McGinley? There's some amount of nonsense thought. <laughs> it was McGinley who initiated it and then Harrington joined in. Uh, he, he sounds like he subscribes to that theory that you were talking about the other week. Up, 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 up. Um, oh, body language, yeah. You've got to be up all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I did, why is there so much talk about body language in golf? Is body language not complete nonsense? I mean, what is the... You know where where is the actual expertise in this in this analysis? It seems to me that the technical aspect of golf analysis is essentially that little yellow tracker line that appears as the ball makes its way off the tee up the up the uh, you know what you call it course, mm. and then otherwise the players just or the pundits just sit around going, well I don't know about his body language. His shoulders were a little rolled over. His head was a little bit down. I mean, I feel that, you know, the body language needs to be more dominant. Yeah, well, there was a bit of... Co- what is this nonsense? Am I reading Cosmopolitan <laughs> magazine from the 1970s? The context there was that Garcia had just missed a put to win it, a short put to win it on the 18th, and had yet again shown this mental frailty that people assume that he possesses. So maybe they were reading a little bit too much about the fact that... Although, I'm surprised they found time to talk about the body language when they were spending so much time... They talked about, about nothing his, else. His fiance. Oh, his fiance. Well, but Harrington said something like, look at her there now. She lets, she stands back, lets him enjoy the moment there. But they're all about how she's uh, feisty, was the word used at one stage, and how she's kind of shaking him up a little bit. Uh, and even when she high-fived him after the 18th green, yeah. it wasn't a sympathetic high-five. It was a, we can still do this high-five. So We can still uh, do it, yeah. We're t- saying a lot of this is an unbelievable amount of interpretation of the most basic uh, physical actions. I mean, uh, the, this, the, the rich interior life of these golfers is something I hadn't, hadn't expected <laughs> before, you know? I mean, are they, are they not just 
guys walking around, but apparently there's all kinds of drama going on at all times <laughs> in their heads. Oh. The, the other one is uh, Rory's jaunty stride. If he's got a jaunty stride, he's about to win the tournament. He's he's a bit springy, isn't he, McElroy, the way And he does hold his head up. That's true. Not very tall. I mean, you can see it even just he's walking along with nobody near him. You can see he's not a tall man. It's because of the it's because of the thickness of his limbs compared to his overall size. Yeah, McElroy, like, this guy is not, he's not very tall. And McElroy's a big big guy these days. Yeah, as, as in yeah yeah he's, yeah, yeah he's like a little keg walking around in pink <laughs> heavily sponsored pink outfit but he you know he uh he does look jaunty and springy on his on his feet Mark Roy McElroy. he definitely has looked at body language i mean body language is obviously an obsession in in the golf world the golf was great though itself wasn't it aside from the coverage the quirks of golf coverage well as a somebody who knows nothing about golf i have to say i was impressed by the quality of the play uh, some of the things they were doing with the ball looked quite difficult. Um, Sergio Garcia. Although I feel I am qualified to, to be a golf pundit. I know as much about body language as any of these people. Um, you know, Justin Rose, um, with that sort of cold smirk, uh, he does. there is a sort of cyborg quality about Justin Rose, whereas Garcia is all too human. He even looks a bit like Adam Sandler, to be fair. <laughs> Slightly... Elderly Adam Sandler, and uh, he, you know, he he seemed the natural, the flair player. I can imagine him casting nets and all kinds of stuff. Um, just uh, every shot, just the stroke of Iberian flamenco dancing genius, and then Rose responding with these brutal Terminator strokes, <laughs> just the these uh, relentless, uh, you know, steel piston strikes. And I, I obviously assume that that Rose would then win because of his, uh, well... Uh, the Terminator his, usually beats the, the, the Manco ter- Dancer. Ter- exactly. Exactly, Owen. Uh, but of course, on this occasion, uh, the, uh, the roles were reversed. I'm sorry for that overly technical analysis there from Ken. If you can handle uh, any more... Seriously, if Sky want to get on to me for the next <laughs> Masters, I mean, I can... Just the idea, like, well, you know, going into this last hole, Sergio's shoulders are a little rolled over, and he's and he's been looking at the ground a little and bit then after pow, missing three hundred eighty yards down the fairway, blasted it down the fairway. Did you see it? Yeah, <laughs> like three hundred fifty <laughs> yards. Oh uh, look, his shoulders are back up. He's yeah, been, he's been reading Paddy Wood, the, my favorite yeah. body language expert. You know, any any time if if you want me to do golf analysis, any time. Our golf analysis today will come from Lawrence Donegan a little bit later on. We will get to Ushie and Mike Quirk in just a second, also on Kerry's win yesterday. But you might have noticed Murph's not here. He's on holidays this week, which is you know bad news in one way, but uh, in another much more important way, it's great news because it gives me my annual excuse to give Joe Brawley the publicity he craves. Murph would never allow this to happen if he was here. He'd give out about it in a pre-show meeting, and even if we did it on air, he'd be kind of grumpy about doing it, but he, you know, his professionalism would probably see him through. Anyway, he's not here, so you've probably seen the clip at this stage of Brawley and co. talking about a certain retired Kerry footballer on Allianz League Sunday last night. Colin Cooper also came up in Fionn Fitzgerald's victory speech. I'd just like to thank my club for giving me the opportunity to, to walk up the steps of the Hogan here, and the week that's in it, I'm sure... Kerry and Dublin fans and everyone around the world would like to acknowledge what a legend Gucci was and what a loss he will be to the GA. 
for a guy who was in the top of his game for 15 solid seasons, mm -hmm. marking the toughest defenders that were there and coming out top eight all stars in he the didn't modern come era. Out top. That's not I, and I would say, I would Tyrone say, three, hold on, Tyrone second, three times, Donegal anonymous, Tyrone anonymous three times. Joe, just talking. I normally I wouldn't say it, but in the article today you had Canavan up on a pedestal, which you cut the legs from under him two years ago, when you well, said Canada. He was Canada. a warrior leader. Right, one second. A bit of a During the week, you were well. waxing Life's lyrical. Not black and white, you know, I'd say you actually opened the door every morning, you'll see what way the wind is. If you actually go far enough east, <laughs> you'll hey, end up hey, west. Hey, you actually I was, will. Uh, I, I have said this consistently. <laughs> I always look to see what Listen, I know Joe done a personal assassination of him this morning. It was not an assassination of him. We have to look at the context of the game, right? In 2002, when he came, he came on the scene, he was a genius, in my opinion. He was a life frame. He, 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 was. He, he was a joy to watch. The game has changed. You know, Tyrone changed the game in the noughties. He would have been double team. It was difficult. He wasn't uh, double teamed in the noughties. He wasn't double teamed. They had defensive men back. Joe, he it was said a different he was game. He wasn't the role team. of a corner forward is a lot different, okay, oh, than it was right. 10 years it's ago. the death okay. of Lady Day. Ah, yeah. I think the Kieran Whelan approach is probably the most tempting to take if you're in debate with Joe Barley. Tell him to shut up. Yeah. I don't know if it's the most effective. I think Tommaso Shea went for something quite tactically astute there. Which was? Just tell him, look, Joe, you know what you're doing here. You know you're just courting a bit of publicity. We know, everyone knows the game yeah. that you're playing. No matter what, you, you take him, if you take him on in any other At way. At home, tax refused to accept that Joe Barley holds any opinion in good faith. He's purely a... Uh, controversialist well that's uh, along the lines <laughs> well uh, I mean uh, it, I suppose it is it, it it means it's going to be difficult to have a debate with Joe Brawley I mean the fact that he was doubling back on himself there uh, re referring again to the death of Lady Di does just there weren't too many he was running short of things to say on that subject I mean I think it's uh, I think it's he's obviously criticised Colm Cooper before, mm. and you know he's gonna he's gonna stick with that because he can see how annoyed everybody gets about it. Oh yeah, so and we'll continue to do so even in retirement. But Colm like, Cooper's but it's kind of pointless as well in a way, really. I mean, was was it was it that over the top the tributes to Colm Cooper? I mean, was he not one of the great players of the last fifteen years? I mean, of course he was. He was. I do. Uh, funny, I didn't actually get it this time to the same extent. There are occasions when players retire and. The sadness is talked about so much when it's not sad. It's not sad when Colin Cooper retires. Anyway, at 33 years of age, it is. There's a sadness to a 25-year-old retiring through injury or whatever mm. it might be. But I, I do think in Ireland and possibly elsewhere, it sometimes the lines do sometimes. Like if you d didn't know the story and you're just coming too late, it sometimes takes a couple of tweets to work out that the person is actually just finished playing football as opposed to gone. Yeah, uh, I mean, what 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 is what did strike me about what Brawley was saying is is he suggesting that in order to be a really great player, you also have to be like some kind of a, a domineering. You have to have a domineering personality. You have to. You have to. You have to be able to imagine yourself dressed up in a military uniform and a big pair of leather gloves, <laughs> punching one fist into the other palm, and with a with a nice peak cap on, like Michael Collins in that very famous photograph. Uh, that gives a preview of the fascist dictator Ireland never quite managed to have. I mean, is that what he's suggesting? You, that if you can't, that if you're not that type of person, you can't possibly be in the top rank of players? Because that, to me, seems totally ridiculous. I mean, if that was the case, I, I mean, I wonder what he, what does he think of Lionel Messi? Does he think that Lionel Messi is 
not that great. Because ultimately, could you imagine Lionel Messi as the generalissimo in charge of, uh, of you know, one of the uh, Latin American countries? Could you? No. It'd be unlikely. Could, could you imagine Peter Canavan? Possibly. He'd have a better shot. Possibly. But with Messi, certainly not. And Gooch Cooper, definitely not. Does that actually have any bearing on whether or not they're great players? I don't think so. We actually chatted to Peter Canavan last week about the greatness of Colin Cooper. That one is on the World Service. If you like signing up at secondcaptains.com. But let's now get stuck into yesterday's events at Croke Park. Oshie McConville is here. Oshie, how are you? Owen has form. And Mike Quirk is in good form, I'm sure. Mike, how are things? Absolutely, yeah, very good. <laughs> I'm sure they had the, that period of Kerry dominance that you mentioned last week has started a few years early. Yeah, a bit premature. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure if it'll lead to a, a, a quite dominance just yet. It might. It might be the kind of, you know, the rattle that the Dublin cage needed to 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 go get another All Ireland. But it was certainly. I think it's just after giving the the, the championship a kind of new lease of life. You now it's after infusing a bit of energy and hope into the championship that it's going to be. You know, it's going to be a good spectacle. I think really. Yeah, it's a real shot in the arm at this stage. Unfortunately, the championship then takes so long to get going that this is this is going to be forgotten about for a while. But it struck me, uh, Kieran Donahue was warming up for a large part of the second half, quite near where I was sitting and just the the joy of his celebration struck me and, and the other Kerry players like it wasn't like they'd won a, an All-Ireland or anything like that but it, it was pretty clear to see I thought from their body language and from their celebration how much it meant just to, to get over Dublin this time yeah, I mean, like Fitzmaurice. No, that's that's what is that? That's his out of ten games. That's his, um, you know, that's his eight like eight times they, they failed to to get a victory. So that's that's his second or third victory out of ten or eleven games against Dublin and Jim Gavin. And it was just it's just like a, like we spoke about last week. I suppose it was just a monkey on the on the back that that Kerry needed to shake and needed to shake it for themselves and needed to shake it for Mayo and Tyrone and Donegal and everybody else who has kind of aspirations of. Of going winning on Ireland, and you know, like no more than no more than you know the time when Kerry beat Tyrone below in, in Clarny in the qualifier. You know, it, it's when when you when you get that eventually, no matter if the team is very different to the one that was your your nemesis or not, it's it's a it's a big one to get off your back and to just just for the guys there like Jack Barry and Jack Savage and Ronan Shannon and you know even Tyg Morley, these newer guys who who don't have any kind of baggage or don't have any hang-ups with Dublin, and you know they're they're really not as as un- beatable as, as maybe people were making out there was a young Kerry fan sitting directly behind me Yoshi and says he maybe he's about 14 or so and they're about six points up at one stage and he just says no 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 I've seen Dublin I've seen too many <laughs> Dublin Kerry games to believe that Kerry you're going to see this out I'm just like Jesus that's the way the rivalry switched the last few years I suppose as a 14 year old that is the exact memories that you would have yeah. of, of, of these clashes I just thought yesterday the whole thing has completely went full circle with Kerry I just think that they are now very, very workmanlike. They relied heavily yesterday on power, pace, and athleticism, and uh, the ability to see out the game. And when you look at the players that they had in the field yesterday, there was a huge amount of inexperience out there. But you know they lacked nothing in enthusiasm. Um, I was really impressed. I thought Ronan Shannon at cornerback. I thought he was good. Morley was good. Um, you know, the half forward line didn't really perform that well, but inside Guinea is probably the real class act of that team. But they're now like, they're, like it's it's difficult to even speak about a carry team without somebody really different, you know, somebody who's offering you something really different. And in the first half, the one thing that I thought they needed was somebody just to unlock 
that Dublin defence, somebody who's able to play that ball in between. Now, the one thing that Fitzmaurice did do yesterday was that they rendered uh, Keanu Sullivan, you know, almost, you know... Um, Redundant, really. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they completely took him out of the game. Um, you know, Cluxon and, and, and Keanu Sullivan looked at each other at one stage, two of them sort of put out their hands as much as, you know, you know how are they continuously... You know, uh, getting the breakthrough that they're getting. How are they coming? You know, because they they played a lot down the channels. Uh, I sat and I was sitting in the Cusick stand. They played a lot uh, a ball. You know, down that direction. Uh, the wee guy who Jack Savage, who who originally uh, wasn't the star, come on and he started the game really really well. The key for me was the was the the middle of the field. Barry just was sent out to do a job in Fenton. Uh, I've never seen Fenton be out of the game. I've seen him be out of the game for twenty, twenty five minutes, not for not for seventy. And when Jim Gavin was making the substitution uh, to take Redden off, Redden looked quite surprised and and you know, I would agree with that because Redden was, was actually doing quite well and, and Fenton was the obvious, you know, one. But you know, when you have a gay who, you know, has played as well as he has, very difficult to make a decision like that. But if you're making it just on the face of what was going on yesterday then Fenton should have been the man that was that was coming off because he was offering them absolutely nothing. Mike, did you see any grand tactical master plan this time from Kerry, or did they just do everything a little bit better than Dublin did? I, I just, I, I just think it was a, a kind of a more of an evolution of of what they've been doing. I mean, there, there's been a kind of a, a shift in theme from Fitzmaurice from being being really, you know orientated on kicking the ball and long ball to to more of a, a running game. I mean, yesterday I thought was was you know there was a real emphasis on Kerry running the ball. I mean Mark Griffin was coming out of defence every opportunity he get to to get on the shoulder and to to hit some fellas coming out with the ball and you know Paul Murphy. You know I I, I disagree. I, I thought Kerry's half forward line was actually was actually really effective yesterday. I thought that was one of the reasons that that Keanu Sullivan was was so redundant. I mean Mikey Ganey kicked you know two great scores in in the second half. Dunica Welsh had two points. I thought I thought that half forward line really kept Dublin's half back line really honest and forced them to to actually have to defend a little bit which they're not used to you know they're used to having that luxury of being able to drop off and and, and cover other spaces whereas yesterday they were forced to defend that line and and they didn't do it very well but you know Jack Barry is a, I just think Jack Barry is such a great story like he's over last year in San Diego for the summer drinking bottles of suds with his feet up watching football on TV you know he played Sigerson football with Fenton in UCD and he knows the guy and he knows all about him and you know there's no infer- inferiority complex there he's a, he's an equal to him and you know he goes out and and it was the same deal in Tralee. You know, people were saying in Tralee, look, he might have roughed him up and the lights are bad and it was a cold night and it's a small pitch. Jeez, he, he, he did it to him again yesterday in a big field, in, in the biggest field in the country. And he just looks like he's a guy with wheels that can really travel around the field. Got a great score yesterday. And, and I just think he's a big, big find. And Shannon, the same, you know, super cornerback. Paddy Andrews, he didn't give Paddy Andrews a kick. And Paddy Andrews is... is as we know, is a is a really top drawer forward at this level. And you know, it's just there's a lot of positives after coming out of it for Kerry for playing so many inexperienced guys like Gavin Crowley, another guy who who wouldn't have, he'd hardly be heard of in Kerry, never mind outside of Kerry. And he and he came into into a real tough situation and and stood up manfully as well. So I just think while while there was only a kick at a ball between them, Dublin could easily have got a draw and and maybe even sneaked it an extra time. I just think. 
Kerry needed it, football needed it, the championship needed it. Maybe not you won, but but the rest was definitely you know it's a welcome it's a welcome result for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's you both mentioned uh, the full back line for Kerry and how ineffective the Dublin full forward line was. No score for Bernard Brogan or for Paddy Andrews, which is remarkable. I mean, if like you're talking about taking Keane O'Sullivan out of the game. You've talked about how they've managed to keep these two players scoreless, who always score. These are pretty big. Uh, these are pretty big feats. Absolutely, I think the thing about, in particular, about Paddy Andrews, he's sort of been in and out. He hasn't played a huge amount of football consistently. Uh, he looked, he looked, he looked very much off the pace. He looked as if, in fact, pace was the one thing he didn't have yesterday. And anybody with no pace yesterday really struggle on the field. Uh, well, he's a funny player because he can light it up. He can he sometimes can, yeah. he can and he can, he's come off the bench and the he sometimes looks incredible. And then he's given another chance and it doesn't work out. Do you, do you know Owen? The majority of the times that you see um, Paddy Andrews have a shot and it's wide or into the keeper's hands, after that, like his, his head does drop, you know, dramatically and very very quickly. Um, Bernard Brogan felt a bit sorry for Bernard Brogan because a lot of time he was isolated. A lot of time the ball was absolutely down his throat. I mean. Or, or over his head, even yeah, worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what I mean. They were trying to shove it into, yeah. you know, they were trying to get it into rather than knocking it into space. Kerry did, you know, uh, cover a lot of the space off. And as I say, a lot of the time, Dean Rock spent the majority of the game in his, around his own midfield half back line, was trying to, you know, burst forward. The ironic thing for yes, from yesterday that I found was that, you know, I spent yeah, last year talking about Kieran Kilkenny and how he was yeah. the man to retain the the ball. Yesterday he looked like, you know, the player who wanted to, you know, burst through and, and you know, make a difference. And he did that on several occasions and looked really, really good doing that. Dublin lacked energy yesterday. When McCauley come on, you know, he'll improve the energy. He probably shouldn't bother kicking the ball. You know, that opportunity he had towards the end, I mean, he's 16, 17 yards out. He just, just fisted over the bar because, you know, his kicking ability is really poor. But, you know, other than that, he, he gave them a huge amount of energy. Uh, they were starting to win ball. Um, again, Paul Flynn, you know, just wasn't quite doing it for them. They had some, they had, they had a lot of options. Paul Mannion, you know, made a real difference for them when they come on. But, you know, they, they lacked energy and they probably needed to inject that little bit of energy. And you can't, yeah, quicker. you can't, exactly, you can't keep leaving yourselves these mountains to climb, especially against teams like Kerry. It, it seems to have got into their heads a little bit that it's okay if we go five or six points down because our subs are so good, we'll we'll turn it around. But your Kerry can bring on Darren O'Sullivan and Brian Sheen and these guys. It's not like Dublin having the monopoly on players who can come on at the end. I know we, it's talked about like they do sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think the, the other thing about, uh, about Dublin yesterday was that they went into the game, not it sounds strange, but not really playing that great. And uh, that sort of was a continuation yesterday. And he keeps making making the tweaks and making the changes. And the, the players who probably, you know, who, who probably stood up was the likes of, you know, the likes of Davy Bourne and these boys who have seemed to be coming off the bench with a, with a point to prove. But you're right, you know, the, you can't keep giving yourself. But I think they learned the lesson from yesterday. And I think that's <laughs> that's the thing that's niggling away. And I'm sure it's niggling away on anybody from Kerry is that, you know, they will have learned a lesson from yesterday and they'll 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 when you get used to winning it's re- it's even more difficult to take that defeat. Yeah, that was the consolation uh, that was kind of going around the town yesterday, I think, Mike, among Dublin fans was this idea that it mightn't be a bad thing to lose now. Forget about the unbeaten record. Maybe get the players get into their heads that actually we can't just rely on the substitutes all the time. W- would you see that as a possibility that this could could end up backfiring on Kerry? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, yesterday, Mannion was probably the only guy that came on and was was really effective off the bench for Dublin. Um, you know, one two obviously, and 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 played really well. But I, I just, I think, you know, it's so hard. It's it's really, and it, like, I mean, you can't blame Dublin for it. I mean, the the run that they were on, and you know, two years undefeated in league and championship. You know, 36, 37 games. It's 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 never been done before, and I think no matter how good Jim Gavin is, and he's obviously brilliant at what he does, you can't you can't have guys at that pitch all the time, unless you know a defeat is just sharpens the focus. You know, like for Dublin now going into the championship with 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 that kind of in their minds, it looked lads we're not we're not unbeatable. Every, you know, any team on their day can can take us, and it's 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 just a real. It's, I mean, Jim Gavin, I'm sure, while not wanting to lose the final, will be will be really pleased at the fact that he he's not going to have to do a whole pile to motivate these guys. Know in terms of sharpening themselves up. Realistically, as 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 much as Dublin as good as they've been, they could have lost four games this year in the, in the league already. You know they should have lost to Tralee, you know below in Tralee and 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 obviously lost yesterday in the in the final. So, uh, you know I, I still don't think they're playing anywhere near as well as they have been for the last for the last 24 months. You know this year and and it's 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 um, while I, I I accept that it'll definitely give them a, a kick in the pants and it'll force them to to reevaluate some things. I still don't think they've actually come close to kind of clicking this mm. year and and. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that's quite about, but they haven't. They haven't been at the pitch of it just yet. Could Dean Rock have done any more with that free at the end? Gave it a decent, decent rattle. Ah, uh, probably not. It was. He was about three yards outside the forty-five. So, yeah, and yeah, he, he probably. You know, he did as well with it as he could have. Yeah. I was actually surprised that he, that having kicked so well out of his hands that. You know he didn't have a crack out of his hands, but if he had to take it out of his hands and miss it, I would have said surprise you couldn't kick it off the ground. Just well, yeah, but well, when, when you get to that distance, it, sometimes as a free taker, is it is it? Are you more comfortable? I think he uh, felt more comfortable. Yeah, I think he felt more comfortable because he's seen it as a forty-five. It's something he's practiced. It's something that he's used to kicking over the bar, as opposed to this free from his hands from a mile out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think he he's seen it at that. The only thing is. Like he he did line up to it slightly differently. He had to give it something to get it there, and, yeah. and that's sometimes where you lose that little bit of that little bit of accuracy. But what are we talking like? Mm. You know, we're talking inches, like, yeah. you know. So, but he, he uh, yeah, he, he gave it everything he could. But I, I just would have loved to have seen another twenty minutes. Well, that could have been a classic, yeah. If they because it it opened up so much by that stage. Yeah, it had, uh, and you know. You know, we re- like, and the thing about him, if it's Morris, and I'm sure he was glad to get the victory. You know, imagine how much more he finds out about his about his young charges in with another twenty minutes. But I suppose the, the I, th- I think yesterday the win was more important than than you know finding it anything. That Kerry can jump on that bus yesterday and head back down the road, knowing that that it can be done. So you don't have to try and he doesn't have to spend the next three or four months trying to convince his players. You know that it can be done, and he, arguably yesterday, like that's Dublin at at full tilt because you know, I suppose losing Connolly is a is a major thing. You know, he looked he looked in the in the in the mood yesterday, if you like, and um, so that's something that that Invitz Morris doesn't have to. He doesn't have to spend the next uh, three or four months convincing them that the next time they play Dublin, like they've done it now, and and you know he'll be able to. I suppose look at different things now, and and I still think that's not the team we're going to see, you know, come the end of the championship. As far as Kerry's concerned, there's a few players that they that they can add in now. Just on the concession of that free at the end, uh, there's a lot of debate about the black card. Or it has been for ages. It tends to die down, and we kind of consciously don't talk about it too much on the show because it can get kind of boring. Yeah. 
that rugby tackle by Anthony Martin, does that kind of show you that in those sort of situations, which are the situations that it was probably brought in for at that time of the game, it doesn't really matter. Like you can have a yellow, you can have a black. It's not a criticism of the black card. It could have the a player would take a red card in that situation. He's just going to take a guy down. Yeah, he absolutely was, and that's the thing about it. my argument is actually like a counter argument against the black card. I think we there's that much time wasted towards the end of the game. The team referee goes through the whole thing about you know the black card. I'd rather see last five minutes of the game some sort of retrospective thing where the throw a card at somebody on the way off the field or something because all you're doing is breaking the momentum and that's the other thing one one last other thing and maybe nitpicking but when I watch the NFL they have like a go-to team of officials that they go to for difficult mm-hmm. games or, or big big games like we don't have the opportunity to see the likes of Dublin and Kerry too often like we should have had our best team of officials out there yesterday now the referee did okay but just somebody with a bit more of experience, would have maybe t- taken the opportunity to let the game go a little bit more. I felt it was a little bit stop start. I don't know what yeah, you guys thought about it. I just thought he, he pulled up a lot of things. To the latter of the law, I'm sure, you know, he ticked all the boxes, but <laughs> I just would have loved to have seen it, you know, uh, being let flow just that little bit more. And that's why maybe in situations like this, when we have the opportunity for the big two or, you know, some of those top three or four teams that we have a go-to um, squad of officials and we go to them and we and we, and we we use them. Mike, last word to you. I don't know if you got home in time or if you have had a chance to watch uh, League Sunday from last night in RTE, but Joe Brawley had a couple of things to say. We've brought this up already about, about Colm Cooper and his lack of a warrior leader personality. What would you think of that sort of criticism? Yeah, it's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, I... Um Ah, oh, sure. Look, look. I mean, it is com- complete nonsense. I mean, I actually, do you know what I did? I went, I went back and I found that article that, that Joe wrote there back in 2015 about Peter Canavan, and about how how he was a diver and how he, you know, was was the greatest feiner of all time. And 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 now he's 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 saying that Gooch, uh, you know, doesn't live up to this warrior leader, um, tribal, fantastic, you know, footballer. Like I, I just think it's it's nonsense. I mean, Gooch, Gooch has has bailed Kerry out of of more situations than than you could you could put in any newspaper article. And to go picking out a couple of games from 2003 when the guy was 18 and a half years of age, and then to go mention Tyrone in 2005 and 2008 when he was the top scorer in both games for both sides. Um, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, I mean, he's talking about uh, about critical thinking and critical mm. analysis. And about about three years ago, he told everybody that that, that football factory in Kerry was finished and that we'd never again produce a footballer. And we've won three, three minors and Hogan Cups and under twenty. You know, the, the guy. I don't know where he comes out with this stuff. And look, I mean, we're feeding it by 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 talking about it, and that's what he that's what he's looking for. But there's there's no sense or no backing or no critical thinking in in his evaluation, in my opinion. I do understand. The point he's making that when somebody retires, it everybody bangs on about it so much. It does sound like somebody's died sometimes, yeah. and, and that and there isn't actually much room to critically analyze a person because you have to say nice things about them. But I don't know where you stand on on the Brody. Well, point, I, I suppose the Brody the Brody point. Yesterday they they had a um, they had a little bit of a snippet on the on on the big screen of of uh, the Gucci's best moments. <laughs> If that's just a snippet, that would have, that would have done done me rightly. So that sort of puts uh, Joe's argument to bed, you know, straight away. The Gooch was when he was when he was at himself, like he was he was the t- he was he was the top man. He was the top dog. Like he's probably in my time the best footballer, you know, that I've seen and I've witnessed. And uh, you know, 
it takes a lot of things to become a top class in the county player, but you have to want to battle and you have to want to be, as Joe would say, a warrior. Because if you're not, you get ate up and spat out very, very quickly, especially, you know, as as we move on and especially in the modern game. Um, so the argument doesn't hold much water, I'm afraid. Right, well, Murphy's going to kill me for devoting so much time to Joe Brody <laughs> in, in his absence on today's show. But there you go. Thanks very much, Rashid. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, all. Okay, guys, no better. What are you saying? You're just a phony, man. This is just what happened. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But, brother, I am bad, and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that. Ken, I've got a little bit of an update for you. Some big news, if you will, on the back of the latest edition of Murph's Country Pages in the absence of the big fella. I thought we'd bring this up today. So that was on the World Service last week. Uh-huh. He had us rolling in the aisles. And the village of County of Tang in County Westmead. Do you remember this? Oh, That's I remember Tang. I'd, I'd never heard of it before. And Neither did I. I don't know why we're both so intrigued by it. It just sounded kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, it, it does exist, according to Roland Smith. He says that, uh, hi guys, the writer Oliver Goldsmith was a native of Tang. There's a statue of him at the front of Trinity College. Kind regards, Ronan. Yeah. There you go, Oliver Goldsmith of She Stoops to Conquer fame. Of course. Yeah. I, I, uh, I had no idea. I think I he might have studied that one in college. Burger for a of Tang. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, any more Tang. That's the only Tang fact we could get over the course of uh, three days, but uh, it's better than no fact, I suppose. The Second Captain's Football Podcast is out today. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. Oh, I'd, 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 I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I will go down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? <laughs> Well, and we talked uh, about a bit about David Moyes, who's having another very difficult season. Uh, certainly, if you listen to his own descriptions of it, uh, we talked also about uh, Bayern's destruction of Dortmund over the weekend and uh, how they're looking for the Champions League against Real Madrid this week, and also a little bit about Barcelona bottling it against Malaga in a result which. Mm, it's probably too soon to say. No, it's probably not too soon to say. Hands the title to Ramadri. I've been enjoying your golf punditry so far on the podcast. So I do it's basically just talking about guys' body language on from the from the perspective of somebody who actually has zero insight. Well, I want to hear what you have to say about his performance in Butters Cabin. And after so many years, once and for all, for Sergio. You ready to put it on? Gilly, it's that time. <laughs> yes, sir. Danny, if you st- please do the honor. On that, please, Victoria. My goodness. Wonderful. Congratulations, Sergio. Thank We're you. so very much proud of you. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Billy Payne there, of course, Augusta National Chairman, who su- succeeded Simon's favourite. Chairman, I think that was um, Hootie Johnson. It was probably his favourite song. <laughs> Billy Payne carrying on a fine tradition there. Yeah, I was watching it. And, and I know pre- the first time I saw that 
I thought, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I can't believe they're, they're doing this. <laughs> um, but I, watching it last night I was the first time I thought, actually, you know, this is kind of perfect for the, for the thing that it is. This is exactly how it should be for, for this golf tournament. Which this, is to say? Well, this time warp back to the 1950s uh, is, is pretty much exactly how, you know, you'd, it's kind of like this time travel experience is integral to the um, experience of actually winning this golf competition. If they tried to do it, I mean, how else, could, how else are they going to do it? Like make a podium, like release the red and yellow bits of paper down on Sergio Garcia's head as he lifts his green jacket. I mean, this is actually, if you, if you, if you won the Masters, you would want to have to sit in that cabin with those strange, <laughs> strange men <laughs> and their newscaster voices uh, for, for a couple of really awkward minutes before uh, making off with your prize. Lawrence Donegan, it was Sergio's 74th attempt at winning a major, I believe, his 19th go at the Masters. Were you happy to see him get the job done at last? Uh, yeah, I think everybody was, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I think I mentioned it the other day, but I was one of the crowded guys around about, I think it was six years ago, can't remember, it was 2011, where he's basically saying, I hate this place. I'll never win here. I'll never win a major. So um, it's quite a comeback, really. It just goes to show you, doesn't it? Um, you're never too old. I think, was he? I couldn't believe he's 37 years old. Yeah. I was um, the quick story. I was caddying uh, in a, the Spanish Open in 1996, I think. And we, we got paired with a 15-year-old Sergio Garcia. 15 years old. And I just can't believe that he's uh, that, he's that old now. And he's got, he's got no hair. <laughs> uh, how good was he at 15 he was pretty fantastic actually <laughs> he was a really kind of very puppyish he was a tiny little guy and very very skinny I we were uh, there was me or not me my player Sergio and a guy called Thomas LaVey mm. I'll never forget it the, the 15th hole at this El Soler golf course runs next to a motorway and Thomas LaVey topped his drive about 25 yards into the tree and then he tomahawked his driver out onto the road. <laughs> and I'm just never forget this little kid watching this with his eyes wide open, thinking, oh, my goodness, is this what lies ahead for me? Clearly not. I mean, I think uh, Sergio's going on to do a lot more than Thomas LeVay. He did, yeah. Although a little bit of that, uh, uh, the inner demon in Thomas, Thomas LeVay has obviously invaded Sergio over the years. Uh, David Livingston yeah. on Sky was saying that he interviewed him a few years back. And he had to stop the interview to ask, I don't know if he stopped the interview as such, but just in the middle of the interview, he actually asked Sergio, are you okay? Like, are you all right? Because he, he, he was so morose. And obviously people had gotten used to the early Sergio being such a bright, bubbly character. But it, it's, it's, I think this is maybe what's, pl what's pleasing for a lot of people, that you can see a guy go through that sort of change in life and look like he's given up on his dreams and then actually, uh, actually get them in the end. Was there, as I've heard a lot of people say, a different Sergio this week? I, well, yeah, I tell you what, there was a different Sergio. I think he's calmed down quite a lot. I think, I mean, I think he isn't getting engaged. I mean, I don't want to go down the kind of soppy route, but I mean, there's a bit of that in it. Um, he's a bit older. Um, back, I'm few from, I mean, a lot of people forget, but in 2010 at the Open, he had, after that Open, he announced he was taking a sabbatical from golf. He'd, basically, there'd been an intervention with his family and uh, the agent and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and they just said, Sergio, you've got to do something here. And, I mean, that's how low he was. Um, different Sergio, well, I, I mean, everybody's different when they're winning or everybody's different. I would have wondered what would happen if uh, 
with Justin Rose had done a, a Padre Harrington on him and, and beaten him. You know, if you remember when he, when he lost that playoff in 2007 at the Open, he was very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, just like a spoiled brat, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely different. In terms of golf, my goodness, he, he was, I mean, he's not a, he's not known as a big hitter, but, but he was swinging so well. He was just going at the ball 120%, and he, he was hitting it miles. I mean, he, he was hitting a well past Rose, and Rose isn't short. Yeah, he was, and he was. I think in any certainly when there are that many players up around the top of the leaderboard, Lawrence, you're going to have to you're going to have to hold your nerve, and you're going to have to come yeah. back from setbacks over the course of a final round. He did that a couple of times. I think there was that uh, wasn't the thirteenth hole where he had to take a penalty that, drop, and he managed he managed that, to save par, which was superb. And even then, that, to miss that yeah. put on the eighteenth and come back and and hole one on the on the playoff hole was a good goal. Yeah, the uh, that that five on thirteen that was an un. But well, he got lucky for a start. Well, I mean, you, you know, it ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Luck, um, but he got lucky. But I and mean, what a five from that spot! I mean, you think about it. You know, I think what was he down? I think he, was he down? At, yeah, he was two down at that point. Mm. And you know, you put it in the trees. That could have been it. That could have been it. He got a, a lucky break and took his drop. And when I mean, there was a great five, that was an, that would have been because Rose be standing. Your roses at the back of the green in two. He, all he needs to do is up and down it for a birdie. And he's thinking, well, that's me three, maybe four ahead. It's done. And then Sergio pulls off the par and Rose Rose doesn't hold a, you know, another five-footer. And they both walk off the green with five. That would have been a real kick in the ghoulies for uh, Justin Rose. Um, but but again, you know, maybe in years gone past, the old Sergio might have just got the shoulders would have gone down. Oh, woe is me. And he would have maybe... Chopped it out, taking his six and walked off and just, you know, paddled home uh, to second place. But, he, you know, it was great that, you know, that was great because that, that par allowed him to make the eagle on 15. Uh, it was it was really, really good stuff. Golf can be really, really good sometimes. It can be really boring. But these major championships, when you get two guys going at it like that, it was uh, it was really, really good. And as you, as you say, it ebbs and flows. Um, real drama, like any great narrative, you know. There's, you know, there's comebacks, there's, you know, triumph, there's despair. It was, it was brilliant stuff. Great watching, actually. Are you a fan of this friendly rivalry, Lark? No, no. Oh, not in the slightest. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, I mean, you've got to be a P-R-I-C-K, haven't you? If uh, you, can you imagine Tiger being friendly with either of those two going down the stretch <laughs> yesterday? The whole point is you've got to make the other guy feel as uncomfortable as possible. Uh, you know, and, and and Justin Rose, I mean, fair enough. Uh, he isn't enough of a of a title, you know, enough of a prick really to 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 behave like that. But that's what he should have done. Because I mean you can because he's won his major, you can rest assured that Sergio if, if Justin Rose had been blanking him, you could always make your apologies afterwards. But if Justin Rose had been blanking him, Sergio would have been feeling very uncomfortable because he's in an uncomfortable position. He's got a chance to win a Masters at a golf course that he said he used to hate. Uh, you got to make him feel as bad as possible. I'm sorry. I mean, that sounds harsh. But, I mean, that's what you got to do. Yeah, there was a bit of that. In, we're going back a bit, but you mentioned Harrington earlier on. And we've already been talking about the sort of antipathy between Harrington and Garcia, but... Harrington was very much like that he, he, oh. he, with with Garcia, and it seemed to unnerve Garcia. Now that that was a long time ago, so maybe Garcia's grown up as well. Uh, the um, and Harrington's not like that, but I mean Harrington was is was savvy enough, smart enough, and you know was sort cold hearted enough to do it. And I mean before that, I, I'm not sure there was much antipathy between the two of them. I don't think there was any great relationship between the two of them, but they weren't like you know for a few years they were sworn enemies. Um, 
but Harrington, you know, he, he took the view, well, I can always apologise afterwards. I mean, and that's, I think, Rose should have done that. But you know what? I mean, he comes out looking like the good guy. He comes out with the guy without the major, another major championship. But he comes out looking great. And actually, his behaviour in, in defeat, I suppose you would call it, uh, has been pretty impressive, actually. Um, yeah. You went through a little bit there the how Garcia has changed yeah. himself over the years, like from the time you saw him as a 15-year-old and, and that sort of intervention, as you described it, a number of years back. How has he been seen by his contemporaries? Harrington aside, maybe, is he a particularly popular character? Has he rubbed people up the wrong way? Uh, he's rubbed a few people up the wrong way, but I think, by and large, you'd have to say popular. I mean, you look at the, the response. I mean, everybody's a kind of great guy in a, on Twitter and all that, but there's been a genuine kind of feeling from you look around the fellow pros and they're, they're you know they're pretty happy for him they can understand how difficult it is and how long he's been at it the big thing is amongst the pros he, he commands a massive amount of respect these guys when it comes down to it, these guys just respect great players and he's been known a lot all along as a great a great great ball striker there's maybe maybe three or four or five at the top level of the game who are you, you know widely recognized as being great ball strikers you know rory's obviously one Darren Clark's another one. Sergio's one. So they kind of get this that whole thing about game recognised his game, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but he's pissed off a few people over. The, I mean, Tiger. I have, yeah, you know, Tiger tweets. I mean, there's another. One. If you're looking for a phony congratulations, look at the Tiger. You know, well done, Sergio. I mean, he's the, you know, there's real antipathy between the two of them. That goes back a long time. Because uh, all the way back to that uh, Medina, uh, the PGA Championship at Medina in 1999, with Tiger didn't you know. Tiger being Tiger didn't particularly like Sergio's what he saw as Sergio's grandstanding, and after Tiger wins that major championship, and Tergo, uh, Sergio gets all the press, so Tiger didn't like that. <laughs> and they, they played together in the uh, the two, the final pairing of the 2006 uh, Open. I don't know if you remember that one, mm. but uh, Sergio turns up in the banana yellow uniform, <laughs> banana yellow outfit, yellow pants, and oh, yellow pants. I sound like an American. Yellow trousers and a yellow jumper. Tiger beats him, and then he texts his mates, "I, I just bludgeoned Tweety Pie." So, uh, <laughs> so you know, and if you do, you remember again, I keep on saying you remember. I'm like an old man here, <laughs> yeah. but um, the he was spitting in the cup at Doral. That didn't go down very well. So, but by and large, he's very, very popular. What was really interesting to me was how very much he was a favourite uh, of the American crowd. That's not always been the case, but uh, again, I think that's just a case of. People recognise, you know, the, you know, struggle, you know, failure, and they, they kind of want the, you know, and so there was a very much a sense of the crowds that, that Justin Rose had won his major or had already won a major, and Sergio hadn't. So, uh, by and large, a, a, a pretty popular, pretty popular winner. Yeah, I did see it referenced that the crowd were getting behind that group a lot more than they were Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, which was surprising it being in the US. But I, I suppose that's just partly because. They, Speed and Federer stunk the place out so badly. There's not much to get be, <laughs> behind, really. Yeah, and you were certain that Jordan Speed was going to do the business when you spoke to us totally. last week. Totally, uh, that was a really weird one. But uh, you know, Jordan Speed is amazing. He is an. Inc- he's the only one of the modern day. There's no way, for instance, there's no way Jordan Speed would have would have been high fiving and fuck thumbs up and all this. If it had come down to him and Ricky Fowler, he would have given Ricky Fowler the old uh, <laughs> the old icy stare. Uh, but the big thing about him is he's just his technique. I'm talking about you know everybody recognises that Sergio is actually a, a great, a great, great player. Um, I saw a great, great golfer. 
Um, and Spieth is a is a great great player, but he by no stretch of the imagination is he a, a great golfer. And if he's uh, if he's not on his game, he's got the ability to chop up the golf course. His technique is uh, apart from you know in and around in and around the greens. His technique is pretty poor, and, and he got very very exposed yesterday. I was um, disappointed. I suspect my son was disappointed as well. He's only eleven. He's got he had Spieth in his fantasy golf, and uh, there you go. I got the blame because I I kept saying you got to take Spieth. You got to take Spieth. <laughs> well, you, you, you can't win them all, Lawrence. Listen. You can't win them all. He's gonna, my kid's going to have to learn the hard way. You can't win them all. That's it. Lawrence, brilliant stuff. Thanks so much. All the best, mate. Owen McDevitt. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. Second captain. Those guys, are like, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a fucking soccer. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. And you were federated at championship. Owen McDevitt. Owen McDevitt. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Yeah, I was very interested to hear the take of Lawrence there on a number of things, including the young 15-year-old Sergio Garcia, but also the, well, he agreed that maybe Justin Rose was a little too nice. We, could, we described him as a Terminator earlier on, Ken, or at least you did. Yeah, He's but maybe... friendly he, a Terminator. He was just trying to simulate human emotion and I maybe getting it wrong. Uh, you know, even as extremely sophisticated um, AI like Justin Rose <laughs> isn't necessarily <laughs> going to get it right every time. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole thing. I mean, how, how do you know he he's trying to he he high fived like Sergio Garcia? Maybe he was just being sportsmanlike. That's one possibility. Or if I want to go golf pundit on it. Maybe he was trying to psych Sergio out. Maybe he was saying, hey, I'm your friend, but am I really your friend? The subtext of that high five was, we're enemies. We're actually, but I'm going to try and get close to you just so I can do more damage to you. Maybe something like that. I mean, I heard Portia Harrington talk about how he was, uh, how when you go out for the playoff, you want to be standing up, chest out, shoulders back, just showing the other player that you're ready for this. I'm ready for this. So, in fact, your entire body language is just a, is is like a facade. It's a it's a it's it doesn't indicate anything real about your inner mental state, apart from your will to deceive your opponent with fake body language, suggesting a kind of an inner confidence that you don't really feel. Hmm. So, if that's the case, how can we really take anything from any of their body language? I mean, I can't. I don't know whether to. I mean, when Sergio looks at it, is he like, okay, this guy's been friendly to me, or is he like, this guy? wants me to think he's been friendly to me in order to undermine me. He's double bluffing, essentially. Or do, does he know that I think that he's trying to undermine mm-hmm. me? So he's actually being friendly, but he knows that the effect will be to well, make me double, feel undermined. That's a double bluff, actually, yeah. All that kind of stuff is happening out in the golf course, apparently, all the time. Well, apparently Thomas LeVay's body language is easier to decipher when he's flinging clubs around the place. I interviewed Thomas LeVay once at the Ryder Cup in 2006 at the K Club. Yeah. I was spending the, do you remember spending the entire weekend harassing Boris Becker for an interview? 
which he never gave to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Just kept asking Boris any chat. No, I think I think the first time was in the toilet, so that probably wasn't the best place to ask. <laughs> Sorry, what was it? Was he at the sink or what? Yeah, sink. Yeah, I mean, well, he was yeah. at the sink. Yeah. And did you burst over from when you saw him finishing up? Did you quickly? Yeah. Scuttle, scuttle over. Yeah. We had you been waiting by the sink, or did you terminate? Did you truncate your own? I don't think I truncated my own <laughs> experience. In the, I think, I think, I think we might have both been finished around the same time and washing hands together. Did you have a a wet handed handshake? But there was no handshake. There was just a refusal to do an interview. And so that was that, that was the first encounter. I just said, yeah, it happened a few times. So I just said, listen, cut my losses, go interview Thomas Levey instead. <laughs> Get four minutes with Levey there, McDevitt, or don't come back to the office. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Ken. Thanks very much for thanks, listening. Man. We've got that football podcast out today for everybody we've also got daily podcasts coming up as always from Tuesday right through Friday for all you beautiful World Service members thanks very much for listening bye now what's going on is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those